0: The recent murders in Atlanta have really brought more attention to the fact that so many Asians are being targeted. And I really do think it starts with words.
1: Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Three simple words that ignited evil, hateful acts of violence against innocent Asian people around the
2: world. As opposed to calling it the Chinese virus.
3: Kung flu. Weaponizing terms like China virus and Kung flu. Go
4: back to China where you came from. Asian hate must stop. Hate is learned. You know, you don't come out of the womb hateful. You learn it along the way.
5: If there's racism against us, if we are being attacked, we
1: are going to stand up and fight for us just like everyone else. Ah! Pandemics can happen anywhere, anytime, in any country cholera, Spanish flu, smallpox, swine flu, and now COVID-19. The coronavirus originated in Wuhan, China, and as a result, Asian people are now being demonized, causing long-standing deep psychological impact.
0: So when we are devalued, there is an understanding that, you know, we are not wanted, we don't belong here, and a sense of our own devaluing of self.
1: Today on Context, Avi Go of the Chinese Southeast Asian Legal Clinic sounds the alarm as Canada sees a drastic spike in anti-Asian hate crimes. Canadian journalist Amy Chung recounts the horrors of some of the people in her stories. Bob Fu of China Aid and Lisa Pak of Finishing the Task talk about the Christian response. But first, another mass shooting in the US, this time reportedly aimed at Asian women Here's Maggie John with the former pastor of the suspect in the Atlanta shootings.
6: Pastor you first, we're so sorry uh, for your grief and the loss. We can't imagine what your church is going through right now. How is the church and the community doing, uh, going through such grief and just processing all of this?
5: The church there, um, obviously they're grieving. Uh, I mean, they're still in the state of shock. So they're hurting because you know, they were very close to the family. Um, So, but um, in another sense, uh, they're they're doing okay. Um, The Lord's carrying them through and uh, they have one another. And so they're doing okay.
6: Yeah. You know, judgment and accusations toward the church are sometimes the responses after horrific events like this. Many people look at the church and, and might see racism, division and intolerance. How do we create true unity, especially as we look at racism in our society right now?
5: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the uh, you know obviously in this case and some other cases in the past, uh, people who have committed these acts have been tied to churches, right? So mm-hmm. uh, I think uh, rightfully when our society looks at us, you know, they want to see something in the church. What's happening? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a rightful fear that many people have. Um, one of the things that I would encourage the church. Pr- primarily to think carefully about is to to listen to one another. Uh, I think uh, in my article that I ended with a notion of hermeneutic of trust because there's immediate suspicion that happens I think with the current state of affairs uh, in our culture of tribalism where you know if you're not on someone's side then there's immediate suspect and I think uh, along race lines there's that even within the church where there's immediate suspicion when people think differently or have different thoughts about certain issues. And so I think the church needs to do a better job of just listening uh, as a demonstration of love for our brothers and sisters. So I think that uh, needs to take place. And I think on, on another level, the church needs to do a better job of sort of acknowledging, hey, there, there are problems. We, we have not only historically have had this problem, especially here in the United States, the denomination that I belong to, the Southern Baptist Convention, it was founded on the issue of slavery. So there's a long history of issues of racism. I think we need to acknowledge that and come to terms and fix things where that needs to be fixed. Um, So often I think we see people kind of stiff arm, sort of when when there's uh, discomfort about certain conversations uh, or, if someone might feel implicated in a certain, you know, uh, conversation, but I, I think we need to acknowledge and just say, "Hey, look, we, we messed up here. Uh, let's try to do better. Uh, let, let's repent of the things that you know that hasn't been good, and try to make things better." Um, the, the final appeal I think I would make to the church community is to be really biblical, and I mean that in the sense that, um, you know. We're supposed to be people of love, and I think First Corinthians 13 teaches that. Mm. Um, I think so often Christians tend to want to be right, and uh, mm. even if I'm right and I have the truth, but it lacks love, it rings hollow. So, you know, I think uh, we really need to think about what it means to be biblical as God's people, uh, and not so much reflect our culture, uh, per se.
6: Yeah. Pastor Yu, we have seconds left, but I do want to ask you, also in your article, you say, I do believe that our shared faith as evangelicals offers us not only a place to mourn the state of our country, but also a grounding from which to change our response. Can you expand on that quickly? What does that look like uh, as a nation, as a nation that has prided itself on, on uh, standing on the beliefs of Christianity and faith? What does that look like as we, as we grapple this issue of racism?
5: You know, I think one of the things that evangelicals have forgotten or just don't realize is that historically, you know, our our forefathers were pioneers in thinking about issues of justice and activism and so um, For for example, in the 19th century there were these pastors called the Edwardsians, and they were sort of the posterity of the famous American preacher, Jonathan Edwards. You you know, People know him with that one sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And it was this posterity, these robust evangelicals who worked to abolish slavery and activism, thinking about social justice and caring for the poor, the widows and the orphans uh, is a legacy that they left for us. And I think we've forgotten that. And in some sense, evangelicals feel today as if you think about social justice or activism or caring for the poor, uh, it seems like we're selling out on the gospel. And I wanna point out that, that that's, not, that's not it, hmm. that evangelicals have a robust history of working for the betterment of people around us. And so uh, I would encourage our evangelical friends to think carefully about their legacy you know, and what the Bible teaches about what true religion reflects. Mm.
6: And what our responsibility is according to, according to Christ. Thank you so much, Pastor Yu, for your time today. The real impact of racism has deep roots in North America. It's left a dark reality on our society and the progression we've made as a people. Asian Canadians helped build this country and offer richness to Canada's mosaic. Context, Susan Ponting now with that story. So thanks, Maggie. Amy
1: Chung is a Canadian journalist who's reporting on anti-Asian hate crimes. Amy, racism has been relevant in our societies for as long as history. However, we've seen a stark rise this past year from the COVID-19 pandemic. Can you tell us about
7: your reporting on that? Yes, uh, Susan. So basically in the past year, uh, unofficially we've seen, uh, according to the Chinese-Canadian National Council, that there's been more than a thousand cases of anti-Asian hate crimes. Um, And one out of 10 of these cases, people have been coughed on, spat on. The vast majority of them have been subjected to verbal harassment. And the, the vast majority have also been women.
1: You've interviewed numerous Asian Canadians, been on podcasts and writing as a journalist. How are people feeling? How are specifically
7: Asian Canadians feeling? I think right now people are feeling more rattled than before. Um, they are fearing that something such as you know, being harassed, being attacked in public is is uh, is a possibility now. For instance, um, I can tell you, I have a friend in Montreal who, who told me the other day that she's afraid to walk down even the plateau, which is a very popular area in Montreal by herself. And even I uh, had a friend who was telling me she was helping uh, a girlfriend write a, a letter to a school because her eight-year-old nephew was being bullied, being called the coronavirus. And he was afraid to go to school and they wanted the school to have these kids held accountable and nothing was really done of it.
1: So what do you think uh, social media has to do with all of this frenzy? And you'd mentioned uh, now, former so President Trump.
7: In war against the Chinese virus. I think it, things really Just blew up after um, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump has started to call the coronavirus the China virus, Kung flu, all these things. And it basically gave um, people unbridled permission to say and do awful things, racist things, to people with impunity, with no punishment. So I think that's extremely frightening. Um, and there have been cases I've I've done in my reporting, interview people who have been called these things in public, on the bus, a 69-year-old man was called uh, the China virus and, and nobody, helped him on the bus. And he just had to sit with that remark for the whole ride and, and just contemplating why that was said to him. Amy, what needs to be
1: done? As a journalist, you've reported all over the world. You've, uh, you're have you a generalist. You report on all kinds of um, issues, political and otherwise.
7: But what needs to be done? I think foremost, we have to be an ally to the Asian community. And I Especially if you see something, do something about it. Um, you know, as I mentioned, the bystander effect is is extremely um, damaging. And I think that if you, you know, just to to call it out or to help someone, make sure they're okay. You know, just to to be by their side if they if they need it. Document the incident if you have to. Right. Um, I think for the government, they should absolutely keep this message going and and keep this momentum going, keep it on the airs. And especially I was doing a uh, an article before about, you know, the Chinatowns uh, in Canada, but also specifically in Montreal, how they've been suffering. So Chinese businesses, Asian businesses have suffered because people at the beginning of the at the beginning of the pandemic and even till now are afraid to visit Asian shops or businesses. So they've definitely they suffered.
1: How can we urge society, do you think, to see
7: other uh, the value in different cultures? The fabric of our country is multicultural, and I think that's something that we celebrate. And and right now we're just seeing that being diminished a little bit in the sense of how we treat um, certain groups. I think it's to lend a hand, be an ally, you know, talk to people that you don't need to talk to. Um, but I think also to start with education uh, and the history of the contributions of Asian Canadians, which I didn't learn a lot when I was growing up in in Toronto, right? By knowing more, I think we will have a a lot more empathy and understanding. And keep up the conversations, right? Keep the conversations
1: going, even, even when they're difficult. Exactly. Amy Chung, Canadian journalist, thank you so much for joining us on this really serious issue.
6: the psychological harm of any kind of racism is pretty much indeterminable. The only thing we do know for sure is that its damages have far-reaching ramifications. With us now is psychologist, Dr. Gina Wong. Dr. Gina Wong, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Maggie. There are some alarming statistics when it comes to anti-Asian attacks here in Canada. What do these numbers say about what is happening in our society?
0: Well, currently there's a reported um, incident rate of 1,150, and 44% of those are in Vancouver, and 40% of those in Ontario. But Meg, it's important to understand that probably only 10% of people are reporting, so these numbers are much, much greater. And you know, we need to, you know, really encourage people to report. It really is a sign of a crisis, you know, we're in a state of emergency when it comes to anti-Asian racism.
6: Yeah, absolutely. And in the US, we've just spoken with a former pastor of the Atlanta shooter who killed eight people in in different spas in that area, as you know. What kind of mental harm does this do to people?
0: Well, the psychological impact of Sinophobia, and Sinophobia is specific hatred and fear of Asian people and it has long-standing deep ramifications from a like, psychological perspective. So when we are devalued, there is an understanding that, you know, we are not wanted, we don't belong here, and a sense of our own devaluing of self. So an internalized racism can occur. So there's the overt, and then there's the covert, um, you know, uh, impacts of racism and, you know, the fear that, you know, comes across in terms of, you know, this, this could happen to me. This has happened to me. This could happen to my children, to my parents, because the elderly and children are the highest targeted. And so the fear, the constant surveillance, the vigilance, the sense of helplessness and hopelessness really breeds anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, alienation, a lot of that sense of of just, you know, not knowing where we're safe, even in our own spaces, in our communities and in our our neighborhoods.
6: Let's delve a little bit more (laughs) into that psychological impact of racism and stereotypes against Asians. You know, when we look at and hear these stories, we hear of a community that's also been silent for a very long time. We would be mistaken if we thought this just happened last year. You know, we've seen this peak, but this has been an ongoing issue for a long time. Why does there seem to be so much silence about this in the Asian community?
0: Well, I think we're, we're being as vocal as we can, but you know, there's a stereotype. It's the myth of the model minority. So it's the idea or this belief that Asians, you know, we're successful, we have upward mobility. We, you know, are geniuses in academics and, you know, as professionals. And that stereotype, of course, it's very limiting and restrictive mm-hmm. and assumes, you know, puts pressure on us. But it's, you know, it also silences us because, you know, we're not supposed to make waves. We're supposed to suppress our feelings and to just kind of take it. And when that's in place, you know, and I talk a lot about, um, you know, in in other places, there's a Chinese Cantonese word called yun. Mm -hmm. And it's this idea of honor in suppressing our feelings, not speaking out. Um, You know, it's, it's about quieting ourselves to fit in. And so I think for, for those reasons, you know, we aren't really ones to speak out. And I talk about, you know, myself, the trifecta of being Canadian, being a woman and being Asian, you know, in, in all those ways, it's, you know, screaming at us, don't speak out, stay quiet, be polite. So I think that has, you know, a lot of impact on being able or feeling like we have um, the agency to speak out. Yeah. I
6: don't want to put you in a position of traumatizing or re-traumatizing you, but have you had personal experiences of racism? And do you feel comfortable sharing how that's impacted you and your work?
0: Absolutely, I I have had experiences, you know, because of being Chinese in my early childhood, in grade one. You know, growing up in Montreal as the only Asian family, I was spit at, kicked, um, chased. Kids would pull their eyes and, you know, shout race, racial slurs at me, you know, after school almost every day. And so, growing up with that, and you know, then experiencing being objectified and sexualized and having, you know, male attention in the way of being an Asian woman um, is also very stereotyping and racist. We're all afraid. I don't know if there's one person that I've spoken to who this isn't an issue for, who isn't living with fear and trepidation and self-surveillance.
6: Thank you, Dr. Gina, for, for sharing that and being honest about what you have gone through and what so many in your community have gone through. I know that's not easy. Thank you so
3: much. Like to watch more Context Beyond the Headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online on YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up-to-date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life.
6: People in Asian communities here in Canada are also on high alert. Joining us now is the director of the Chinese and Southeast Asian legal clinic, A.V. Go. Thank you for joining us today, A.V.
4: Thank you for having me.
6: Now, this is the statistics of Asian-related hate crimes are rising in Ontario alone, and we're just one year into the pandemic. What are you seeing, A.V.?
4: Well, certainly that uh, the anti-Asian uh, racism has... You know existed in not canada for a very long time but uh even before the pandemic began uh, in january 2020 we already um, started to see uh, some of the uh sort of uh, online hate targeting uh asian owned businesses and we've been pushing uh and calling on government to do the right thing and so uh, the report that you mentioned was a joint report by our clinic along with the chinese canadian national council for social Justice and and CCNCTO, where we received over 1,150 reports of incidents of racism across Canada, about 40% of those in Ontario. Um, And uh, many of the people who experienced racism during this time over the last year were women, uh, people who don't speak English as a first language seniors and the younger population so it sounds like you know it would appear that um you know the 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 people who are doing this kind of uh, targeting are picking on people they think are cannot fight back okay. and uh, over the last 3 months since uh, January 2021 uh, there were uh, about 500 uh, incidents being reported wow. so it's certainly very alarming yeah, over three months, 500 incidents reported. Wow,
6: you you've had your own race-related hate-motivated experiences during the pandemic.
4: Can you share what that was like for you? Uh, it was during the summer last year when I was just walking down the street uh, on Young Street, going home. Um, there were four, you know, young people who were walking towards me, were facing each other, and as we were. Almost like right in front of uh, each other, one of them spat at me. And this spitting, you know, this act of spitting is one of the most common uh, forms of racist attack that uh, Asian Canadians had experienced over the last year. Thank you so much, AVGO, for your time today.
6: Time now for The Q, an opportunity to dive deeper in today's topic. I'm joined by Bob Fu, founder and director of China Aid, and Lisa Pack, speaker and global strategist of the ministry Finishing the Task. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you,
2: Maggie, for having us.
6: Bob, I want to start with you. Uh, A lot has happened in your life since you were last on the show. In November, you woke up to protesters outside your house you have even had to uh, get restraining orders because of the work you do speaking out against religious persecution in China. How are you doing?
2: Well, thank you, Maggie, for your prayer and for uh, asking this question. Uh, my family and I, I gladly to, re- to announce we returned back home safely in West Texas mm-hmm. after being evacuated by the FBI and the law enforcement for over two months from our home uh, by this uh, communist invasion in in West Texas. Um, It's uh, just uh, so surreal. Mm -hmm. Uh, Basically, you know, a former uh, prisoner in communist China uh, ourselves, uh, we had never thought we would end up uh, being exiled from our own home in the land of the free Mm -hmm. in the United States.
6: Definitely keeping our brothers and sisters in prayer in China as well, and thank you for your hard work. I wanna now pivot, transition to the topic that we're talking about today, anti-Asian hate. What are your thoughts, Bob? I'll start with you and then we'll move to Lisa. What are your thoughts about the surge in crimes against Asian men and women this past year?
2: Well, it's very sad, of course, uh, to see this uh, uh, video's images uh, where, you know, uh, just because of uh, uh, ethnicity uh, or, you know, some kind of a hatred from some human's heart. Um, uh, Asian, some Asians were being targeted. Um, but I have to really make it clear, um, I, as I ask my daughters, I mean, uh, our family members and those friends around ours, at least... Uh, in West Texas, we have not seen uh, or experienced uh, mm-hmm. such a kind of a massive hatred uh, toward us. We are being loved uh, dearly and being cared about by uh, people of all faith and uh, all color, all um, nationalities. And, um, but, you know, as a pastor, we know the kind of a human nature, total depravity. So, any kind of a hatred uh, to, Toward uh, any human being uh, based on race, color, or skin uh, should uh, not be tolerated, um, you know, and certainly uh, should be um, dealt with, um, I think, uh, in a deeper spiritual way uh, for reconciliation, Absolutely. Uh, for more understanding and dialogue. Yeah. Mm.
6: Lisa, and thank God that you haven't experienced that, Bob. Thank, thank God. But we know that there are thousands and thousands of people who have. Lisa, have you experienced racism here in Canada?
8: Um, I've looked back on my journey. I was born here, um, and my parents are the ones who immigrated. And certainly there were moments where it gave you pause to think. And my whole journey has led me led me personally to the conclusion that racism is on a spectrum. Mm. And sometimes it's out of just honest ignorance. And I don't know that I would use such a strong term as racism so much as prejudice, because that can be resolved with conversation and honest curiosity and genuine conversation. But I think what we're experiencing now is um, a xenophobia that's rooted in a lot of fear. And the COVID situation, the lockdown, the fatigue that people are experiencing kind of exacerbates it. But I love what um, Bob was sharing about how he feels the love about it, because despite this spike in anti-Asian hate, I'm a firm believer that there are more people on the side of human dignity, more allies out there than there are people who hate. And the key would be to start those conversations and to demonstrate that kind of love. I love what the Bible says about how perfect love drives out fear. And if you get to the root of that, then a lot of the xenophobia, um, that's just a byproduct of it. How
6: does your faith help you, you know, just find solace in what you are seeing in the news and what you're seeing against uh, Asians right now when we talk about anti-Asian hate?
8: I think every man, woman, and child, regardless of race, we are all made in the image of God. And my faith tells me that, you know, God loves us. He's intentional in how he created us. So if we doubt our own identity, ethnicity, that speaks against God's sovereignty. So... In my journey, it comes to the point where I'm going to embrace God, I'm going to embrace myself, and how in my identity do I embrace those who don't know about these cultural issues? And there's certainly practical steps you can take in a country like America or Canada, in a city like Toronto, there are neighbours, there are people that you can reach out to and just to learn more. And that might be one step that people can take to help mitigate and you know, de-escalate some of the tension that's out there and just to get to know one another. It really is, for me, you know, Romans 12 talks about bless those who persecute you and persecution um, comes in all sorts of forms and racism is one of them.
6: So well said. And our time is up just like that. Bob Fu, Lisa Pack, thank you so much, both of you, for joining us today.
2: Hi, I'm Kelvin Mazik, Director of Context. Each week our team tackles news headlines that affect us all. Our producers go beyond those headlines where we find God in action. But we could not produce this program without you, our viewers and our donors. If you'd like to find out how you can support the show, visit us at crossroads.ca forward slash context. We'll see you next week and every Wednesday at 9.30 p.m. right here on Yes TV.
3: Like to watch more Context Beyond the Headlines? Catch up on any of our shows online. On YouTube, search Context Beyond the Headlines for the most up to date episodes and extended content. Listen on the go with Apple, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Check out our reporters' and producers' stories at our website, Context.show. Follow us on Instagram at Context Beyond the Headlines and Twitter at Context TV. There are so many ways to put more context into your life.